0: The Lloyd's List Shipping
1: Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. This is the first of a special series of daily editions of the podcast, live from London International Shipping Week, where we are going to be keeping you up to date on all of the news and views from the events around the capital this week. Day one has seen a slew of introductory throat clearing from the government. They hail the maritime industry as the lifeblood of global trade at various launch events as we get underway there will be more substance coming on this uh, not least when the maritime minister unveils growth plans for the uk flag which has to say the least been suffering under the weight of brexit confusion and some security concerns but for today i want to focus on something else i want to talk about transparency as the issue that has been threaded through so much of our coverage of late Um, Lloyd's List held its transparency in Shipping Forum earlier today at the uh, top of Lloyd's List Towers. It was a pleasingly insightful affair. covered everything from blockchain to trade finance during the discussions, but inevitably the focus was really on sanctions that provided the meatiest debate of the morning. I'm joined by podcast regular and Lloyd's List's very own tanker tracker-in-chief, Michelle VZ Bockman to dissect the discussions for you. Uh, I'll also be offering a few clips of today's discussions throughout uh, this edition, and a longer version will be available on com for those of you who couldn't attend in person. It was an interesting debate. I mean, the sanctions focus, you know, was really uh, pertinent. You know, we're just seen over the weekend various statements coming out of the US, John Bolton going live on Twitter not offering again. photos. <laughs> <Not again. laughs> I know, I know, I know. But, you know, this this couldn't have been a better time to vent for us.
2: True. And and what we have seen for the first time is some commercial pushback on these um, Iranian unilateral sanctions from the US, Neil Roberts telling the forum very clearly that the information is out there, it's with the flag states. Insurance is not the is not the um, doesn't have constabulary powers. This and is Neil
1: um, Roberts, head of also, uh, marine okay. and aviation for the Lawyers Market Association. Just exactly, yes.
2: Um, you know, a really key f- and powerful figure in the marine yeah. insurance market, I, I hasten to say. And he's saying, look, the industry doesn't have constabulary powers. And he's pushed back to yeah. um, flag states and to the government.
1: And, and that's the thing. I mean, I think, you know, we had uh, somebody from, you know, ex-intelligence services saying, you know, how much... Uh, the grey area is reducing due to technology, and that's very interesting. The fact that you can have photos of, you know, this uh, ship sat off the Syrian uh, coastline uh, about to do this ship-to-ship transfer—that's interesting. The transparency is leading the debate, but actually, the transparency from the sanction, uh, from the U.S. regulators—that's the bit we're missing. Actually, as an industry,
2: it, it certainly is, and. um I think the point that was being made here is that the the government and the flag states have the data and they know exactly what's going on, but they're choosing not to share it because they like leaving things vague and sort of leaving the industry uncertain and scared, thinking perhaps that this is going to uh, make compliance um, even more um, imperative. Um, What I did find interesting to see is that the insurance position is that, well, if there's a subterfuge fleet of um, ships, Uh, shipping oil and gas in contravention of these U.S. sanctions, well, we just don't offer insurance for them, Mm. which means that potentially we have 21 large tankers and gas carriers out there right at this minute, uninsured, with all the consequences that has for crew and for ports or areas or ships they come into contact with.
1: Let's listen to what uh, Neil Roberts had to say on the subject
3: here. (laughs) However much data you have... We have to make the point that industry doesn't have constabulary powers. You can see what you can see, what can you do about it? So, in the insurance we have a first defence which we a clause to say what we do and don't allow. We have a sanctions clause which would say that if you have breached a sanction you have no cover, no claim will be paid. If you pres- in Hull clauses, for example, if you do a ship-to-ship transfer and you don't tell people in advance, you don't have cover. You have an underlying warranty of legality. If you're against something, uh, doing something controversial, illegal, you're not covered. We're off on three counts. So we would argue that we are already doing the most we can. Uh, there are those who suggest AIS is the panacea. It isn't, as Kate's has just outlined. There are problems with that. There are alternatives to AIS, such as LRAT, which is the IMO system. That information goes directly to the flag states. And we would suggest that the key lies with the flag states. They have the ability, they have the enforcement powers. Do they have the will? And it depends which country you're talking about. They have a different view of what is going on. (laughs) Marine is an international trade construct the world relies on it. It's very, very hard to avoid making inadvertent errors, and that's why you have a clause which looks after that side of it. The problem comes where you have intentional criminal action by one or more parties. They want to go under the radar. They do not want to be known. They are not interested in the international systems. They don't get bound by international rules. And I would point as a comparison to UK Motor, that's compulsory insurance, it has police enforcement, and yet 15, 20 years well after those figures were first released, you've still got 3-5% to 5% uninsured vehicles. How can that be possible when you've got police on the spot? When you're on the high seas there are no police. It's international waters, you've got problems of jurisdiction, you've got many, many different issues. I mean, obviously shipping has been grey in the past and in many ways is still grey in terms of beneficial ownership and finding get who's behind those plaques and who owns the flags, where are the flags based, who controls them. But it comes down to international will, and it comes down to what is the intent. Saying blockchain is, is, is a great device is, yeah, to a certain extent, but if you start out with the intent to defraud, it's unbreakable. It's a brilliant criminal uh, tool. And we've got to guard go against that as well. So, Insurers will will be looking at all the information available, but is the information available that they need? I don't think so. The intelligence agencies have a very good handle on ships that they think are problematic. Do they share those with insurers? I've not seen a list. It would be helpful if they were to do that slightly more often.
1: That, to me, is a really interesting view that we haven't really heard in the debate. We've heard a lot of political bluster. We've heard a lot of... um, Almost direct threats from the US in terms of coming out and and saying almost
2: direct threats, categorically
1: saying, you know, to anybody in the shipping industry, if you are in any way found to be supporting this nefarious network of sanctions busters, you are our targets now. And that's the first time we've seen people be that explicit. The insurance sector are basically saying, well. That's all very well, but we're not the policemen of the sea here. There is no sort of uh, fleet of black helicopters that the IMO is putting out to, uh, to, to stop this. And you can't land the cost of compliance on the insurance sector.
2: And, and furthermore, they're also saying, well, you know, it, it's not up to us. You have the information. You share it with us. Mm. So they're really not, not only pushing back, they're saying, it's your fault.
1: I think this is the key to the transparency debate. Uh, it's, it's all very well to just look at the raw data, and that is very interesting. And you know, a lot of the stories that we've been following, of course, at Loy's List have, have been born out of watching the data, and you know, there is an objectivity there. But it requires context and understanding of patterns of behavior, of how you track these things. And that really is the key here, understanding context and uh, an industry intelligence that I think perhaps is missing from some sectors.
2: Indeed, and also understanding the political context. Like, there's a very good reason why the Grace One slash Adrian Day One was singled out by the US, and that was because it was a ship that was going to Syria, it was going via Europe, and they could put, use it to put pressure, I think, on the EU in relation to their nuclear um, position on the nuclear withdrawal agreement. I mean, technically, There are a lot of ships that are operated and run by Chinese companies shipping about 400,000 barrels per day of um, crude into China. Mm. And these vessels, they know who they are, they know where they are, and they're failing to do anything about it. So I think understanding the political context is just as important as understanding how to best analyse the data and tell you what it means.
1: Mm. And, of course, the other side of that is we asked Mark, And, and, and Neil, what the advice would be in terms of risk mitigation? And here's what they said.
0: Yeah, I think the the key piece of advice is if you're not sure, then there's a decent possibility that somebody else will be and somebody else will know, by which I mean the regulators, uh, the the media (coughs) banks now are doing huge amounts of due diligence and checks. So we see a lot of higher payments or freight payments be blocked for... A, a director of the beneficial owners of a company maybe they're Syrian or Cuban or, or or Iranian so there is a there is another point which even if you're even if you're acting within the boundaries of the law there may well be practical problems because financial institutions compliance policies will go far beyond what is actually legally required because they don't want to be they don't want to be called out i think in terms of the in terms of the advice I think there's, there's, as a, for a ship owner now, there's no excuse not to have a, a detailed compliance policy which sets out who in your organisation is responsible for sanctions compliance, sets out what checks you're going you're to be doing on individuals and companies, sets out what checks you're doing when you're doing an STS, what checks on cargo origin do you require what's your policy in trading with high risk areas? Do you do any trade with, for example, Iran, Venezuela, Cuba, North Korea, Syria, or are they all out? How are you training your, how are you training your staff? How are you auditing your sanctioning, pro- sanctioning policies? And the US now, I mean, they, they put out actually a very good document in May with a, a, a guide to putting together a, a sanctions compliance policy. So there's kind of no excuse now for not having that in place. And the benefit of that is, is twofold. One, it should hopefully prevent you from getting caught up in any sanctions issues. But secondly, if you are ever inadvertently caught up in a sanctions problem, one of the most helpful things is to be able to say to the regulators, look, this was a, this was a one-off. This was an example of our policies not working. Here is our policy. Here is how we try and mitigate these risks. And the likelihood of this happening again is very, very small because here's what we're doing. If you get caught up in the sanctions issue and you haven't got a compliance policy, you've taken no risk mitigation steps, then I think the, the regulators are going to look much, much more harshly upon you.
1: The thing to remember here is, of course, while the Grace One, Adrian Daria, is an international story and, you know, realistically, it's the most tracked tanker in the world right now, there are... A fleet of ships out there doing almost the same thing on a daily basis that aren 't getting the news coverage and we 're tracking them. Um, give us a view in terms of you know how widespread this this risk is for industry to get caught up in this net of sanctions
2: well at the moment i 've tracked since since november there 's about ninety seven ships that i 've looked at that have been Shipping refined products oil or liquefied petroleum gas out of Iran mostly to China Syria and Turkey post May when the maximum pressure Rhetoric began to be applied Um, Not all of these are ships that are owned by the Iranians or the national um, the national uh, Iranian tanker company fleet Um, so you've got about 10 to 12 very old VLCCs that normally would have been sold for scrap. They've been brought, bought by Chinese-Iranian interests. They've been reflagged flagged um, to Panama, renamed a few times now, and they're doing shuttle runs between Iran, Malaysia, Singapore and China um, with ship-to-ship transfers. So you have a cargo of Iranian crude that's going on about three or four different tankers as it makes its way to China. They're turning off the AIS and... 21 of these are insured by the International P&I Club group of um, clubs. Mm-hmm. So that also means the implications for class, bunkers, bunker providers, charterers, anybody that has um, perhaps taken an STS off those those vessels, mm-hmm. or in some way provided a marine service pro- a marine service to it, especially if it's been in US dollars. Um, because once again, that puts it within the jurisdiction of the Department of Justice, who has shown with the grace one that they have absolutely, you know, they will now use um, forfeiture powers to try and seize and blacklist that vessel.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we, we, we asked uh, Mark Church about this, and his point was, depending on the circumstances, you might expect, you know, everything from you know, a rap on the knuckles if you can prove that your due diligence has been done and you were unwittingly caught up in this versus potentially being locked out of the U.S. financial system if the U.S. Uh, regulatory powers deem you to have uh, done something that they don't like. And But there is no clarity in terms of where you fall on that spectrum.
2: Well, well the thing is, is that, you know, the, the regulatory powers are very mercurial and they're, they're they... All we need is a a Donald Trump tweet in the middle of the night if he happens to read Lloyd's list and see that... Of course he does, of course he does. If if one of these P&I clubs is is named or the vessel is named, um, who's to stop any one of the mercurial government um, enforcers Mm. to take a a stand or or decide to make an example of someone.
1: Absolutely, and and just because uh, you and Donald Trump know uh, exactly where every ship is uh, at any given point, because you are avid subscribers to uh, Loisless Intelligence, it doesn't seem that the rest of the industry are necessarily following your forensic analysis, and it has to be said that when we've gone back to ask for clarity from certain quarters, Mm
2: -hmm. it hasn't always
1: resulted in them realising that they are perhaps involved in some of this.
2: No, and um, and also, you know, I was at a, a briefing later, uh, briefing earlier today, in which I I mentioned some of the coverage we'd given to the Stena Impero, the oh. product tanker that's now um, off Iran. And the evidence that we had um, gathered that showed that had been spoofed um, or sent into international waters by the That's Islamic.
1: Spoofed for any English speakers out there. Oh,
2: sorry. That's the Australian <laughs> <laughs> pronunciation. So, anyway, so the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the evidence we presented that showed that it managed to intentionally divert that vessel off mm. its path into Iranian waters, which gave it the. Um, pretense that for, for the seizure. Yeah. Um, now, Ma- the Maritime, U.S. Maritime Administration has warned about that. It's cited two unnamed incidents, one of, of which is obviously the Stena Impero. And that raises huge risks for any ship that's going through the Strait of Hormuz at a time of particularly yeah. unheightened tensions.
1: Yeah. Again, we're back to the uh, veracity of the data, but mm-hmm. also the context and the analysis to understand how it sits within the wider... Narrative of what's going on mm. right now and mm. that really is important mm. okay well um, as I say we will be putting out a longer version of the uh, recording of this morning's event but uh, for now Michelle thank you very much you will no doubt be back on uh, at some point this week throughout the, uh, the daily podcast but uh, thank you very much
2: thank you